this is Jordan Van Trump with Farm Tank. Farm Tank is an organization I formed for individuals and business owners to learn the latest in innovation, execution, and motivation. I believe there's a huge demand for hearing how others have become successful in life. I'll be traveling the world talking to some of the most influential CEOs and founders to help everyone learn and be more successful in their near future. The agricultural community has been extremely grateful to me and my family, so I'd like to do the same for everyone else and share my insights with you. With that, coming to you live with Farm Tank, Jordan Van Trump. This episode of Farm Tank is brought to you by AgSwag. AgSwag focuses on returning an ROI when it comes to corporate swag and client gifting to really take your business to the next level. AgSwag offers creative ways to build a winning culture in your business, smart strategies to lower customer acquisition costs, and a true vision to help your business improve customer retention rates. I've used AgSwag in the past to help build a culture at Farm Tank, design logos, design t-shirts for special events that I've been at, and really come up with a customer retention program to really start building brand ambassadors for my business. My theory is I can work with sweatshirts.com out of China that knows nothing about my business or agriculture, and that means or I, I can actually use Ag Swag, who are boots on the ground, submerged in agriculture, talking to farmers every day. I mean, one of the other main uses I use Ag Swag for is mainly as a soundboard when it comes to making decisions about corporate swag and client gifting. They have great ideas. They know what works. AgSwag is definitely the creative resource for swagging unique client gifting ideas. Today I have the pleasure of having a conversation with Zach Johnson. Zach is a fifth-generation family farmer from west-central Minnesota. Many of you may know him as the Millennial Farmer on YouTube. If you haven't seen his YouTube channel yet, then I should let you know Zach actively promotes agriculture by sharing his day-to-day experiences on the family farm. His mission is to become a national voice for agriculture, provide farmer-to-farmer education, and facilitate collaborative conversation between farmers and the public. Right now, Zach has over 300,000 subscribers and has made over 225 videos. He's currently getting 200,000 to 400,000 views per post. With that, I'd like to welcome Zach to the show. Hey, Jordan, how are you? Doing good, doing good. How you doing, buddy? I am good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate you doing it with me. Um, let's just start this podcast off by you telling our listeners who's been the most influential person in your life today or in the past. I, well, I'd say uh, that would that have to be my dad. Um, I've got some great grandparents, too, uh, specifically, you know, my late grandpa that we lost uh, two or three years ago. He made a, a big influence on me, but... Um, overall, I would say definitely my dad when it comes to the, the work ethic and managing the farm and day-to-day, just how to handle yourself and go through life, I would say without a doubt that'd be my dad. Good deal. Yeah, I agree with you there. My dad's very in- influential in my life, and it seems like a lot of people I've had on the show, um, their parents seem to be the most influential as well. Um, Let's uh, tell me a little, tell our listeners a little bit about your background, where you grew up, high school, college, first real job. Um, sure. I know well, you grew up on the farm in Minnesota. So. Yep, yep. I'm a fifth generation uh, farmer from uh, west central Minnesota. So we're about 15 miles uh, southwest of Alexandria, um, out in a small town called Lowry. Um, went to school at Minnewaska High School, which is uh, kind of between Starbuck and Glenwood, right on the lake. It's a, a pretty beautiful school. 
um, graduated in 03. And uh, my, my high school job, my first uh, real-life job actually was being a lineman at the uh, airport in Alexandria. So I worked there for, uh, it, was, it was a while, four or five years, and enjoyed my time there and got to meet a lot of really interesting people, had fun. It was, uh, it was a really cool job for a high school job. So um, that, that was kind of my, my thing back then, did a little bit of flying and enjoyed that. And then from there, when I graduated high school, I went up to Bemidji um, and went to tech school up there and actually... Uh, went for high-performance engine building, so I learned how to build race car engines. Uh, and then uh, came back home and and kind of always knew I had a pretty good opportunity here on the farm, and, and really that was something that I had an interest in. I didn't know for sure at the time if that was what I wanted to do for sure or if uh, I, I had um, some aspirations of owning my own uh, engine shop and building race car engines the rest of my life. But uh, when I when I came back in... 2005, um, I started farming full-time with dad and I'm, you know, I, I'm glad I did that. I don't regret that at all. I'm not sure what else I'd want to do with my life anymore. Um, farming is, is it's for me, it's the one thing that I, I love more than anything else. And I'm happy to be here. Good deal. So do you, uh, did you help on the farm in high school and college or mainly just do your own thing? No, I, I helped on the farm quite a bit. So in college, I would come back quite a bit. Those there's a couple of years in tech school were kind of tough because I was 150 miles north of here. So harvest was kind of difficult, but I'd come home uh, Fridays and, and stick around until early Monday morning. So it was kind of, I was around half the time, which, which was kind of difficult, but definitely in high school, you know, I, I spent a lot of time running the equipment and, and helping on the farm and so I, I've always been farming. Just I guess I, I'd say uh, in 2005 was really my first full-time year of, of farming. Cool. Good deal. Um, I'm sure you're probably thinking we're going to talk a lot about Millennial Farmer, but as you know, um, a lot of our listeners are farmers. So I wanted to dive a little bit into your farming background. What's, uh, yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to know, so you're fifth-generation farmer. I mean, we hear that some, not a whole lot. I just want to hear the story on how the family got started and how it's transitioned throughout the years. Well, my great-great-grandpa, uh, Anton Johnson, came over from Sweden in the 1870s and homesteaded uh, the original quarter out here, just uh, west of Lowry. Um, and he's, he's had, uh, you know, acquired some more land throughout his lifetime and um, a lot of that land or most of that land we still farm today, still have in the family today. Uh, my, my dad's dad. So my grandpa actually, uh, the third generation of the farm actually passed away when he was, uh, about 30 years old. Uh, so when my dad was really young, he passed away and, um, there was kind of a, a shift in the family farm. Dad moved away and, and grandma, they moved South and dad actually grew up farming in Southern Minnesota. Um, but the whole time, uh, great grandpa was still farming up here. And, and when dad got old enough, he actually, uh, moved off that farm, came back to the original family homestead and kind of restarted his life up here. And, and so it was kind of like a, a half generation got skipped there. And then dad went through the eighties. He moved up here in, uh, I believe it was, uh, 81 or two moved back up here to the original farm and, and things went south in farming. And he struggled for you know, over 10 years, he had a pretty rough go of it, but, uh, dug himself out of the hole and, and here we are today. And it's kind of, we're in the process now of trying to figure out how to transition it to me. Um, you know, sometimes I, I take some heat cause people think I've inherited everything, but the, the fact is, is that I'm 
I just turned 35 years old and we're still trying to figure out exactly how I can figure out how to transition into this and how I can buy all this stuff. Cause you, you know, as well as anybody that running a farm is expensive and it's difficult to try and figure out exactly how to transfer, you know, the machinery or the land or the, the buildings or the grain bins or whatever it may be. So we're kind of going through those issues right now, trying to figure it out. And I'm excited to see where we can go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, definitely leads me on to my next question for you. I know uh, I work with family and I know working with family can be tough and heard other stories on the farm and just a lot of moving parts, it seems like. But um, as you're transitioning, what's some of the best advice you can share with our listeners on working with the family farm, working with your family, some of the biggest obstacles you guys have overcome to uh, make you guys a better pair? you should say. Yeah. You know, working with family is, is, can be difficult. I mean, especially nowadays, I mean, farming is, farming is, is kind of in a way, the way you look at it, it's, it's big business. There's big dollars involved. It's, it's an important thing for everybody. And, um, I, you know, I'm sure you know who Jolene Brown is. I've heard her talk a few times. And one of the good points I've heard her make before is that, you know, there's certain people that work on the farm and there's certain farms that, they work there because they're family and that's what they were born into. And you wouldn't necessarily hire those people if they weren't family. And so it, it, it can get pretty difficult, you know, when, when tensions run high and, and everybody thinks they're working harder than the next guy, that can be tough. But um, I'm really, really fortunate that uh, uh, dad and I work really well together. I do have a younger brother. Um, he does not farm with us. He's kind of just made that choice early on that he, he didn't have as much interest in farming as he did in some other things. So uh, it's just dad and I full time around here and, and we work really well together. Dad's pretty easy to, uh, to get along with. Um, as long as you, you work hard and everybody's managing the farm, it's, it's not a difficult situation for us. So I'm fortunate that way. Um, and when it comes to the transition of everything, you know, like I say, we're still in the process of it. I'm still learning myself and trying to figure out just exactly how this is supposed to work. Um, we're working real closely, have been for several years with a farm business management advisor. Uh, we also, uh, work closely with our, our accountant and, uh, and our lawyer and, and just try to get on the same page with everybody to try and figure out, you know, how do you, how do you work it so that you don't, you don't end up, uh, hurting the farm in the end? Cause you want to be able to transition everything without ultimately, you know, burying the farm. Cause that's, it's, it's, it's there's so many moving pieces to it that it's it's really can be difficult. It gets pretty in depth, but um, I guess I I don't have any great advice because I'm still trying to learn myself. To be honest with you, yeah. Um, maybe tell me this one. What's what do you feel the biggest obstacle is for the transition right now? Uh, just the learning curve of all the moving parts, like you said, or is there some more. Yeah, well, I think the biggest obstacle is making sure that you don't sink yourself on cash flow when you're trying to acquire the assets. You know, the, the farming's become, the dollars have become so big to make it necessary for operating that the, the amount of money that a person has into uh, machinery and land and, and grain bins and buildings, the, the dollar values can get so high. And when you're 35 years old and you've got a young family and, and corn is you know, $3 a bushel, it, it makes it difficult to try and cash flow that without sinking yourself. So you got to make sure that you keep the debt in line and you, you, you just do the best you can to, to operate on that bottom line and make sure that you don't, uh, you don't shoot yourself in the foot when it comes to having too many payments at the end of every year. And, and at the same time, 
you know, there's a lot of, I think, deferred tax liability out there with a lot of the, the older generation that's been, been uh, collecting these assets throughout their whole life that now all of a sudden, as they, as they diminish those assets and transfer them on, there's a, a real tax liability with a lot of those guys that's going to come due. And, and how do you manage around that? Because most guys can't pay that tax liability in one year. So it can't be a, you know, a lump sum one year transfer the farm and things are done for either side. It has to be, um, it has to be a transition period. And a lot of times you're looking at five or 10 years or, or longer to try and get that done so that uh, nobody gets eaten alive by, by the government or by the, uh, the debt that can come with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been seeing a lot, a lot of that on our end lately with the taxes. It seems to be taking everyone five to six years. It seems like to get caught up on all that madness. But um, yeah, you've got to do it correctly, or else you could you could easily sink your own ship there. Mm-hmm. Another problem we've been seeing. Maybe I, you can help uh, portray this across a little better than I can. But uh, the transition seems to be. In the farming, in the family farm, we're seeing a lot of farmers, or not a lot, but we're hearing more and more of the older generations not really transferring the farm properly to the younger generations, and then a sudden death happens, and then all of a sudden, say your dad, say your dad doesn't um, really work with you to transition the farm, and he unexpectedly dies, and then you have you all of a sudden yeah. has the farm. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice for those guys? Or well, definitely. Way? You know, I've definitely heard some horror stories on that stuff. Um, I would say nobody likes to talk about it. You know, nobody likes to really think about it. But uh, if you want your farm to transfer to the next generation, boy, you've got to think about it and plan ahead and, and you know, hopefully not count on it happening. But sometimes you got to think about it and plan for the worst and think, you know, if if something were to happen to you, um, at least uh, the next generation coming in would would be helped out a little bit by some pre-planning on a situation like that so that hopefully things are in order and you can keep the family together because, you know, when it comes to, to non-farming family members, um, that can be a, a touchy subject, you know, who's entitled to what, and and there is no right or wrong on that, but I think it needs to be addressed ahead of time so that people understand what your wishes were and and who's going to take that farm over and just how it's going to work and who's entitled to what. And, and hopefully you can keep the family together through that process. So I think just planning ahead and, and having at least an idea of how you would want it to work in case something were to happen can, can be huge. Yeah, that's definitely some good advice. Um, maybe take it, take us through a little bit of your day-to-day operations on the farm. Exactly. What do you, um, what is your role and, how are you uh, helping the family farm? Well, you know, the one thing I really love about farming is that every day is different. Um, so for me now, the way my social media has just blown up, um, it's gotten pretty crazy. I, I spend a good amount of time actually in, in the office, uh, more than I ever did. But, but Dad always kind of drilled it into me that, you know, you, you can work smarter, not necessarily harder, and, and, and still do well with the farm. You know, there's a lot of management that goes into this now. It isn't necessarily waking up early and just rolling your sleeves up and going to work all the time. Of course, there's still a lot of that in farming, but you also have to sit down and, and do the management of it. Um, but dad and I, we do, uh, we do really well together. We both kind of have our roles. Um, he's the marketing guy. He's the chemistry guy. He runs the sprayer a lot. 
Uh, I tend to end up uh, running the planter all the time and, and, and dealing more with, with fertilizer and seed. Um, and, and, you know, we both sit down pretty carefully in the winter and, and go through a solid cash flow and balance sheet and financial analysis. And we work together a lot on that. Um, I'm lucky again, like I said, you know, dad's good to work with. We work well together. So when it comes to the decisions we make, as long as we, we fill each other in and communicate well about why we're making the decisions we are, we, we usually don't have an issue moving forward with what we want to do. So I'm, I'm really lucky that way. Yeah, it seems like you guys got a good relationship. That's uh, definitely something me and my dad have worked out over the past year. It seems like he's kind of got his stuff he stays in his lane with. I got my stuff I stay in my lane with. And sometimes we get in our, our each other's lanes and we're like, hey, man, this is – I got it. <laughs> I got it taken care yeah. of. This is uh, my responsibility. So it's uh, – Well, it's I, I know there's – to... Go for it. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I know there's there's a lot of times where – in the past, I'll question this or question that, and and you know, six months or a year later, I'll look back and go, yeah, you know, he he was right. I guess uh, he's done this before. You know, you got to always remember that. And I remember uh, Dr. David Cole one time uh, telling his audience that if if you don't listen to Grandpa enough, the farm is going to go broke. And and at the same time, if if you listen to Grandpa all the time, the farm is going to go broke. So, you know, you, you got to listen to the guys that have been around and have done this, but you also got to take it with a grain of salt sometimes. And, and there's nothing wrong with constructive criticism, but I always got to remember that he's got a lot of crop seasons under his belt. He's been through pretty much everything I've, I've thought of. Every time I'll come up with uh, an idea on trying this or that, he's usually pretty good at telling me what happened when he tried it and why he doesn't do that. Yep. I hear you there. I get a lot of those and I go ahead and, just go on and do it anyways. And you just sit back and watches and like, I told you so, son. Yeah. <laughs> so just another learning experience. Just but, another learning experience. That's exactly right. Yeah. Let's, um, let's move aside of your career from a little bit and tell me from a personal perspective, what makes Zach tick? Um, from what you told me, it sounds like you're really into dirt bike racing. You said you've been at it since you were 15. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Or, yeah, know. well, dirt dirt track racing. Um, actually, uh, so I, I grew up on the go-kart dirt tracks when I was 10 years old. We bought a go-kart and went racing for a few years, and then I moved to uh, open-wheel modifieds. Um, we did that for quite a while, and then, then we went to uh, dirt late model, which uh, we spent about 12 years in that class and traveled around some and had a lot of success with it and a lot of fun, raced everywhere from Saskatchewan to Kentucky and, and had a lot of fun, but now I've got three younger kids in the house. And so we kind of scaled back and we sold the late model that we owned. And now I'm running a modified again, open wheel dirt modified for a guy up the road that uh, owns the car. Um, he's owned the car for gosh, 15 or 20 years now, but uh, I've been driving it for six. This is my sixth year in it. And we're having a lot of fun. We run less races than I, than what I used to five, 10 years ago, but uh, we still get out and we have fun and enjoy doing what we're doing. How many were you running at your peak? How many races? Or when was your peak? In college or right after? Well, let's see. Probably in, uh, you know, in 2005, 6, 7, I was running two classes, and we were probably going 40 nights a year. So I was probably running uh, 70 to 80 races a year for a few years there. Um, and then we, when we switched to just one class, 
we dropped down to about 40 or 50 races a year with that, but we were spending a lot more time traveling and, and trying to chase the bigger money shows and the points and, um, did a lot with that. Now we're down to the last couple of years with the modified with Corey, we've probably been running, uh, 15 to 25 races a year. Cool. Were you racing professional or just, uh, well, I guess, uh, not, you know, not really, but, but kind of, we were racing against guys that were, when we were on the road, we ran some, uh, world of outlaw races and some of the bigger UMP races and, and went and ran with, with a lot of the guys that are doing it for a living. And we had had success kind of locally and regionally with the Wissota sanctioning body that's up here in the upper Midwest. And, and we bought a, bought a big motor or an open motor, we call it, and went on the road and ran with those guys for a couple dozen shows. And, and had a lot of fun doing it, but it kind of got to the point where we realized that it was either going to take a lot of time and money and we needed to really rally up some sponsors or else we needed to, uh, to kind of back down and, and realize that, um, there's other things in life. And, and that's when uh, I started having some young kids and just kind of thought, you know, I got the young kids and I got the farm I'm going to try to take over. So at this time it's, it's maybe not great timing. And, and so we just kind of went back to running more, more locally and more regionally. Cool. What are, um, what are some of the best tracks or races you've been a part of? You know, my favorite race is the John Sites Memorial in Grand Forks, North Dakota. That's actually coming up this weekend. So I'm heading up there on Friday. Um, but that is my favorite race of the year. Unfortunately, I don't run a late model anymore, so I don't get to take part in the, in the big show that pays 9,200 to win. Uh, but we take the modified up there and, and we get to run Friday and Saturday night and, and still be around all the late model guys that I used to, used to race with and see a lot of guys up there and it's always it's always a good party and the track is awesome up there so that's probably my favorite one of the year cool what's um what's one what's one race still on your bucket list to do you got any oh, on my bucket list to actually race you know there's a lot of big races that uh that would be on the bucket list but we're without running the um the dirt late model uh, you know, the series like the, the outlaws and the Lucas oil stuff that we were running before. Um, I mean, there's some, there's some big races there, like the firecracker and, um, and the, the Cedar Lake USA nationals, which we ran a couple times, but, uh, we just, we don't have that late model anymore. But if I was to, if I was to throw specific races in the bucket list, they would be those, those big, uh, those big 10 or 12 dirt late model races they have every year around the country. Good deal. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know much about the um, dirt racing. One of my old girlfriends, her cousin actually used to, I think he used to um, do it professionally, and he traveled around, had a pretty cool car and stuff. So seems like a pretty cool deal. I went and watched him once. It's pretty nuts. But um, can, can you drop his name? Because now I'm curious. I'm a dirt track guy. I can't. I can probably drop it to you. I can't remember his name, but I'll I'll get it after um, after we finish, and I can text it to you probably. Sure. What, what about your family? seems like you guys are pretty close. Can you tell me about them? Yeah. Well, my wife and I got married uh, 12 years ago now, back in 07. Um, we had our first kid in 09. Um, and since then, that, that's my son. He's going to turn 10 pretty soon here. Um, and since then, we've had two daughters. So we've got a seven-year-old daughter and a four-year-old daughter. Um, on top of that, we've actually got a, a 17-year-old niece that lives with us. We've had her for gosh, four or five years now. So we've got uh, four of them in the house. So there's six of us total and seems like we keep collecting dogs. So we keep adding that way. Um, but we, we moved out onto the farm here, bought the farmhouse for my parents 
just close to a year ago now on Thanksgiving um, and, and moved out to the farm. So we're enjoying actually living on the farm now and raising the kids around here. And uh, we just got back from a long family road trip where we headed out to Glacier National Park and down to Yellowstone and, and visited a few people out that way in, in Montana and Wyoming and had a lot of fun. And um, the wife and the family, they really enjoy camping. It's not always my thing, but, uh, but we had a lot of fun doing it together and, and getting out of here and, and staying in the camper and seeing some, some different places. Yeah. What, where's your, uh, where are your parents living at now? Are they still around or? Well, they're actually, they're building a house. Yeah. They're building a house about, uh, eight or 10 miles just off the farm here, uh, which isn't done yet. So for right now, they're actually, uh, living in the office out in the, in the shed out in the shop. So there you go. Uh, we've got a, yeah, we've got a newer shop out there. It's, 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 it's pretty nice, pretty nice rooms there. The, the office is nice. They're pretty limited on space, but I think they're doing okay out there. But I, I know they're definitely ready to get out of there and, and get into the house. So they're hoping as soon as harvest is done that they can move up the road. Moving back to Yellowstone, how was that? I was actually thinking about going out there the first time this last weekend. Didn't end up making it, but um, how's that experience? It was fun. You know, it's, it's interesting to hear the science of what's going on out there and, and the way they got the, the super volcano and how all that works and the geysers and stuff. It, it was fun to see. And we saw a lot of wildlife and it was just fun to get out and see that, you know, I've got friends that have been out there and it seems like just about everyone's been out there, but I never had. Um, so it was, it was really interesting to see. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Do you get, you guys travel a lot in the camper or every, so this, this was our, by far our longest road trip. Uh, we've always stayed in the state before. So a lot of times we'll just take it up the road to a local lake or to a, a buddy's house or, you know, we, we don't, don't go too far. Usually stay within a hundred miles or find a campground on a lake or something like that and just get away for the weekend is typically what we do. But this is our first uh, long trip with it. And um, luckily it went well. I brought three spare tires for the camper thinking it seems, <laughs> seems like I can't pull a trailer more than a hundred miles without a flat tire. But I yeah. figured if I brought three spare tires, everything would go well. And it did. We came home with the original four. You guys got any um, other tra- other trips planned or anything you guys want to do on the camper? You know, right now we don't have anything planned, but uh, my wife's probably got some ideas in her head. She's, she's usually working oh, on yeah. it, and I'll, I'll find out about where we're headed uh, at some oh, point. Yeah. yeah, my mom's definitely got plenty of ideas. So <laughs> <laughs> They plan it, and we just go. We're along for the ride. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's transition a little bit about um, or what you're doing with Millennial Farmer now. Can you tell us a little bit about the company? or? What yeah, so... Well, I started it, it was about three and a half years ago now that I really started it. And, and the entire reason I started it, the only reason at the time was to try to reach people about what goes on in the farms. Cause I had, I'd heard so many negative things or things that just weren't really true about what goes on on farms. And they were coming of course, from non-farmers. And I just thought, you know, this would be such an easy way to have a little bit of a voice and be able to talk to some people about Hey, yeah, we do use GMO seed and we do use pesticides and we do put in drain tile. And, and here's the reasons why we do that. You know, we're not just doing it, uh, to pursue giant paychecks and, and get rich at the expense of the, the natural resources and the consumers. I mean, we're, we're making decisions out here based on what we know about the technology and, and, and how we know that this stuff works. You know, there's a reason we use GMOs, pesticides and drain tile. And so, that that's really what I wanted to do was to show people 
the real transparent truth about, yeah, we use those things and here's why. And, uh, and that's what I started out doing. And, and I went about a year and a half, just kind of running it as nothing more than a hobby. You know, I never expected it to be anything more than a hobby. I just wanted to put my voice out there a little bit. And that's what I did for a year and a half. And at one point, uh, there was a, a video that just took off on me. Uh, it was, it was called uh, gearing up for harvest. And that was in the fall of, let's see, at fall of 2016. And it took off on me and I picked up a bunch of subscribers and it kind of motivated me to do a little bit more and things just kind of kept growing on me. And now, um, again, in the last year, everything's just kind of gone, gone gangbusters on me. And my wife and I are fortunate to be in the position we're in, but we're still trying to figure out how to manage it and how to manage the time because, you know, in the end, the farm is still number one. We still have uh, a full-time gig with the farm and we've got to do everything there and, and keep that running. And again, I'm fortunate that uh, dad is still pretty young and wants to be very involved with the farm. So uh, he's, he does a lot on the farm yet while I kind of manage the, my social media thing. So I, I've got a little extra time with that because he helps out so much. Um, and we're just, it's just, it's crazy. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly doing something with, with the social media side of things, whether it's, uh, you know, lining up the next uh, video or, or sending off emails or talking to you to record a podcast or whatever it may be. It's just, it's one thing after another, which, which is good. It's lucky. It's been really good for us. And, um, right now we don't plan on stopping for quite a while. So we're going to kind of run with this thing while we can and, and see where it goes from here. Your, uh, your wife does videos too, doesn't she? I think I saw she, she so she does a, a lot of the editing for my videos. She doesn't have okay. uh, any of her own videos yet, but um, she she does oh probably at this point seventy percent of the videos, and during uh, she's probably doing at least ninety percent. So cool. she's yeah. lucky that she's able to help out with that. How much work goes into the editing? Well, it kind of depends on the video, but I would say it's an average of. Uh, two and a half hours to edit an average video. You know, some of them you can do in an hour and then other ones will take uh, six hours. It kind of depends on that. Let me ask you though. Um, I kind of want to know how you, um, how the idea came about trying to start the YouTube channel, what the process was, did it take you? Did you debate doing it for a month, two months, six months? And when did you finally pull the trigger on it and just, decide to do it. Yeah. Well, I had the idea about two years before I ever started it. Um, and I was, I was pretty hesitant on it cause you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure how much I really wanted to put my family out there, um, or put myself out there or what the of course, what the neighbors would think or the other farmers in the area. Um, I just didn't know if it was really something I wanted to do or not. Uh, and spring of spring of what would it be now? It must've been spring of 16 or spring of 15. Um, I, I just kind of told my wife, you know, if I was ever going to do it, spring would be the time. Cause then people could follow me through a whole season, um, through a whole planting and, and spraying and harvesting, and they could see what goes on for an entire crop. And she said, well, you've been talking about it for two years. Just make your first video, see how it goes, see what you think. And if you don't like it, you know, you, you can delete it and you don't have to go any farther with it. And I just, uh, made that first video and, and things went well and kind of motivated me and I kept doing it and um, just started really easily with my, with my cell phone and 
you know, open the YouTube app and talk to it for a minute and go from there. And it was so easy that, uh, I kept doing it. And, and then eventually I bought a GoPro and, and got some editing software and worked my way into that. And it's, it's been a slow process, but, um, I think that was big to, to get the editing down and, and really be able to follow a farmer throughout his entire day rather than just a two minute clip of what was going on. Um, and as far as really what, what kind of pushed me over the edge was, you know, what I said before, where I, I've got friends and family that grew up in the rural areas, um, surrounded by farming and they still, they get out of the rural areas or they get away from the farm and they don't really, they don't have an understanding of what goes on here. And, and that's okay. Everybody's got their own thing and their own lives to worry about. But unfortunately the ideas that some of them have is, is, uh, they're the wrong ideas. And so it kind of motivated me when I was seeing some of that from people that I, I always thought would be, uh, pro egg or in favor of egg. Um, when I see them talking negative about egg, it, it, that's what motivated me to say, Hey guys, this is, you know, you only have half the story. You're not, you're not really talking about the truth here. And so I just wanted to be transparent and say, this is, this is the real deal and what's actually going on. And, and here it is. Yeah, definitely makes sense. We, uh, definitely down in college and everywhere else I kind of travel, it seems everyone seems to complain and about some of the stuff being grown and how everything needs to be organic and blah, 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 right. you know, the routine. But, um, at the end of the day, they don't really you know, my big, I've always said, you know, I support organic farmers and organic farming. And if that's what the consumers want, then, then there will always be that. But, uh, to me, it's kind of a, a strange thing to, to decide, but as long as there's a demand for it, um, you know, we'll, we'll grow it. People will grow it. And so when you were, so when you were, uh, setting up your cell phone, doing your first video, did you ever think millennial farmer was going to be as big as it is today or not at all? Definitely not. I mean, I didn't realize at the time that, that what we got going on now was ever even a possibility. I mean, it just, every day it, it seems like it continues to grow and it gets bigger and I learn something new about it and I have new opportunities come forth and it's just, it's just been crazy. I mean, no, I didn't realize, I didn't realize a year, year and a half ago that I could be where I am today. It just was, it, it, it's just been nuts to me and it's taken a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. It's been, it's been a ton of work. It keeps, you know, kind of snowballing here for my wife and I, it's more and more work all the time, but like I say, it's been good for us and, it, and it's good for the industry. And, um, I feel like I've got the opportunity now to be a voice for the industry. So I also feel, you know, a little bit obligated to, to do so. And, and it's been crazy, but it's been good. No, I never, ever, ever thought it could be where it is today. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Um, one of my, one of the guys that works in my office was showing me some more stuff on you today and he really likes your videos. Um, what what has this done for your farm overall, though? Is this a uh, is this a pretty good source of an alternative revenue stream, or it, it is? You know, it, it is. And so I had some difficulties with that right away, where I I kind of debated whether you know if I if I'm making income from it, then I need to make sure that the original intention of it is still there. That the reason I'm doing it is is to help be a good voice for farming. And, and I guess the way I justify it is that, you know, if I, if I have the opportunity in front of me to be a good voice for farming, 
um, then I, then I'm going to do that and I need to find a way to pay for my time. So to me, um, making the income from it is just my way of justifying the time that I spend on it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been good. It, it takes a lot more work at this point than I ever would have expected. Um, but, uh, there's, there's definitely income there that, that helps out, you know, when corn is $3 and you have a not great crop coming. I mean, it's a, it's a big thing. It is a, it is a full, uh, other income that takes, you know, another between my wife and I, it's definitely a 40 hour a week situation. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I hear you. Um, struggle with that kind of with my podcast when I was, I just launched ag swag not too long ago and kind of had to step back from the podcast. Cause it's, I put, between my farm tank stuff, I probably put 20 to 30 hours a week of my time into it. And I just, uh, I needed to get ag swag, some feet under ag swag, you would say. So kind of had to step back from farm tank there for a little bit, but, uh, here we sure. are back rolling again. Um, Everything takes what, time. I hear you. Yep. Um, what, uh, what's some of the best advice you have for someone trying to blow up a YouTube channel? Was, is there any tricks you, uh, had along the way or did you just kind of just keep plugging away and hope you know I learn every day I I'm still not a professional at it but I would say I would say that the big things like for me was to number one be consistent make consistent videos don't make a a video every three months and then go away for a while you got to stay consistent or it seems like the followers kind of forget that you're there um so staying consistent and then you know, make sure the content keeps moving. Don't let it get boring. To me, that was, that was always big right from the start. That was a goal of mine to keep it moving, keep it interesting, keep it fun, uh, keep the people watching. Cause I know if I watch a video that, that seems boring to me, you know, I'll, I'll move on to the next video. And so you're not getting any value out of that. So try to keep it flowing, keep it moving and keep people interested. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, I think that's definitely the key. Um, Here's maybe a tough one for you, but where do you, where do you see millennial farmer in the next three to five years? You know, yeah, that's, that's a really tough one. Um, cause I didn't see it here a year ago. So to say where we might be in, in three to five years is pretty difficult, but my sort of my long-term, I guess, ultimate idea with it is that, uh, you know, eventually I can't see myself being a 50, 55 year old guy making YouTube videos, but but maybe it'll lead to something elsewhere. What that'll be, I guess I don't know for sure, but I know I'm meeting a lot of interesting people and, and making a lot of connections and having fun with it right now. So I would hope that uh, someday it leads to, you know, something else in the future for me. But like I say, what that'll be, I'm not sure. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I agree. Definitely doing this podcast. I've met a lot of great people and um, including you and it's been a fun journey and, Glad I just get to make the connections and uh, get to have people listen and listen to the advice we give and whatnot. So that's, that's half fun the fun, isn't it? That's half yeah, the fun. Just connect, connecting with people and and learning new things about our industry is that's a, that's a a big fun part of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm here on the last few questions. I know you got to run here in a few, but uh, I like to end with a little fun. So can you finish the sentence for me? Zach Johnson is. I would say thankful, you know, thankful for the opportunity I've had with millennial farmer and the opportunity I've had 
on our family farm and uh for for my family's health and everything else I've got going on in life I'm just uh I'm grateful for all of that. <laughs> yeah, that's a it's actually one of the better answers I've had. Um some people just sit there forever like um um say something pretty weird, but that's a good yeah. one. Hungry? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people like to say tired. I'm like, that's, oh, I'm yeah, like, that, that works like, too, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, can we like get something a little better than that? Um, <laughs> last question I have for you before we wrap things up, I'd love for you to tell our listeners one piece of advice or life lesson that's had the most impact on Zach Johnson. Uh, to me, um, it, it might seem a little corny to some people, but to me, I really, really uh, like to think of it as, you know, stay positive in life. And, uh, and I always remember that um, bitter and jealous people will, will try to bring you down when you're successful. And unfortunately to me, it seems like uh, a lot of people view success as a negative in, in this country right now. And, and I don't know how that ever came to be. It, it's got to be through jealousy, I guess, in my mind. So to me, I, I always try and remember that, you know, if, if people are trying to cut you down, most of the time it's, it's because they're jealous and, and success is, is not a bad thing. You know, we all try to work for success and, and rather than cutting others down and making excuses, um, just concentrate on, on making yourself better and, and being who you want to be and, and reaching for whatever success you want to reach for, whatever that might be to you. Yeah, that's definitely some good advice, and uh, good advice for everyone out there, including farmers, business owners, and everyone out there that's made something out of nothing like uh, you have with your YouTube channel. But uh, uh, I think that's it for I got, or that's all I got for you today, and I uh, appreciate you giving me the time on the podcast, and I encourage everyone out there to uh, subscribe to Millennial Farmer, or at least go check out a few videos, because they're uh, pretty cool, so... Again, I thank you, Zach, and uh, hope you have a good day, and let me know if you ever need anything. Yeah, thank appreciate it. All righty. I'll see you later. All right. Thank you. Yep. Bye.